The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We perform our vows by receiving the word of the King who rules forever and ever, who rules over us by his word, and we're blessed to receive that word again this evening. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 33. That's page 978 if you're using the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 22 and to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's seek his, his help, his blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, how we do bless you. We praise you for this, your word. It's the word of the true and living God, the life-giving word. Father, we pray that as, you, as we receive that word again this evening, that you would come to us. Grant that we might receive it by faith, that we might believe all that you would teach it, and that in so doing, we might have grace to live that new life, that life in the Spirit to which you've called us by your grace in Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been learning about just that, about life in the Spirit, life in the Spirit. Dear Christian, just how extensive is that life in the Spirit to which God has called us? How much of your life is to be lived under the control of the Holy Spirit? You know the answer to that question. The gospel affects everything. Every area of life is to be brought under the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of all. No exceptions to that. Amen? even to our marriages, I would say, especially to our marriages, a major frustration we sometimes experienced uh, as a missionary on the mission field where we were serving in Africa is that you'd find a Christian that would be faithful there in worship and prayers, seemingly had a strong faith, but then suddenly we'd learn that this individual went off and, and married an unbeliever, maybe in a nominal Roman Catholic. And, and, and it, it, there's, it's like there was this disconnect between faith and, the, and the, that area of your life, marriage, 
And there was struggle to understand why we had, we so struggled with that. It's not just a problem only in places like Africa, of course. We sometimes fail to see the implications uh, of the gospel for the marriage institution, the marriage relationship, where we're this evening, we're, we're challenged to see how crucial it is that we see our marriages transformed by the gospel, governed by the lordship of Christ. This is so important. It's important for all of us. If you're not married this evening, this applies to you at all, you as well. This is, uh, for, for you as well, as you think about the future, uh, uh, marriage, uh, uh, if, if the Lord indeed has that for you in your life, then you need to listen well to what the Lord would teach you about the marriage relationship. And even if you're not called to marry, we know from 1 Corinthians 7, those who don't marry have a unique opportunity to serve the Lord. Well, part of that unique service to the Lord is certainly to be praying for godly marriages among your brothers and sisters and doing all that you can to encourage and support to the end that there would be godly marriages. This is for all of us, every true believer, all who love Christ and desire to submit to him. We must love, we must cherish, we must seek to honor the institution of marriage till death do we part, as it were. Why is it so important? Well, our message this evening is this, that Christian marriage is to picture that relationship of love and submission which which is uh, exists between Christ and his bride, the church. And as we think about that important message, I have just three points this evening for our consideration in which uh, really taken in the order in which we see them in the passage before us this evening. First, we'll consider the, the duty of the wife to submit to her husband. And then secondly, the husband's duty to love his wife. And then lastly, the picture that this is of the church and his, uh, uh, sorry, of Christ and his bride, the church. So consider those things. First, then the, the duty of the wife to submit to her husband. We're be- beginning with you, wives, because The passage begins with you. Paul gives you the first word. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto or as to the Lord. Not only do you receive the first word, you receive the last word as well. The text ends, 33b, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, remember that the, the call to submit is not only for the wives. The, the, the duty unto submission is one that is enjoined upon every Christian. Pastor Hull showed us last time as we left off in verse 21 that we are all called to submit. We're called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Indeed, this whole section is about submission, ultimately submission to Christ, but there's submission to Christ, which we are to render in various spheres of authority where we are to honor him. Even in this section, we see, well, we see it begins here with the command for wives to submit to husbands, but then immediately following that in 6.1, the call is for children to submit to parents. And then 6-5, bond servants are to submit to earthly masters. 
Now, the, the husband-wife relationship is not the same as that of a, a bond servant to a master. It's not the same as that of a, a parent to a child. We're not to, husbands, we're not to see our, our wives as, if, treat them as if they're children. Another important thing I think to say here is that Paul is not here commanding all women to submit to all men. Verse 22 makes it clear that the command is for the, for a wife to submit to her own, commit to, submit to your own husband. So it's not that, that every man is somehow over every woman. But Paul does make it very clear, following all of Scripture here, that God has ordered the family structure such that the husband is the head of the marriage. The father is the head of the home. This command is not, not you know, the, the invention of power-hungry men who are, uh, you know, living and ruling in some sort of oppressive, radical, patriarchal society. You know, this is a command that comes from Christ himself. Of course, the submission of a wife to her husband in no way suggests that, that there is any, any inequality or inferiority on the part of women or wives in terms of inherent dignity or worth. The scripture is very clear that God created uh, all, all people, all humankind, men and women, husbands and wives, equally in his image. We are all image bearers of God. And so certainly in the body of Christ, we understand that, that, that in the marriage and in the covenant homes, we understand that, that all God's children in that sense, we are equal. We are equal, uh, equal heirs together of the grace of life, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, or, or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. But that does not obliterate the complementary roles which God has established in the marriage relationship. Again, verse 23 makes that so clear. Wives are to, are, are to submit to their husbands. And why is that? Because, Paul writes, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You note that, that the, 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 the wife's submission to her husband is not submission to her husband, not ultimately. Ultimately, it's submission to the Lord. It's to Christ himself. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, Paul writes in verse 22. And in submission, it's submission out of honor of what Christ has done. What we heard this morning should move it should move the, the, the wives to desire to submit to their, their husbands, right? Submission to Christ because of what he has done and because of what he, by his work, has become to his bride, the church. The husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. This evening, I would ask you, dear sisters, you who are are our wives. I would ask you the question, do you love the Savior? Do you love Christ? Do you love him for what he has done for you? Do you love him for what he has become for you? Do, do you trust him this evening? Do you trust your Savior? Do you trust God's good purpose in Christ? Do you God, tr- trust God's design? Do you, do you trust God's will for you in your marriage? We know, of course, that, that we husbands were far from perfect. Our failures are 
many in terms of, of, of not loving our wives as Christ calls us to love them. And we're certainly going to speak to that this evening. But your husband's imperfections notwithstanding is the grace of Christ yet sufficient motivation for you? And is the power of the Holy Spirit sufficient power for you to do as Christ calls you to do and enables you to do, to submit to him by submitting to your husband, even with his flaws, submission? It's good for us to think about that because it's, it's not a popular message today, is it? Submission is not something popular in our culture. Talk about running so contrary to the philosophy of our day, from radical feminism to the LBGTQ plus ideology, where we're seeing the, the influence of, of transgender ideology and its rebellion, complete rebellion against God's created order and God's creational design. Should it surprise us that submission would be something so unpopular? I mean, apart from, apart from God's common grace in this world, we, we live in a world that, that uh, hates completely the very idea that God created men and women with any differences at all and that he has established any differences in terms of our roles in the marriage. Indeed, just the insistence that, that true marriage must be marriage only between one man and one woman, that's something that is despised by the world, isn't it? Let alone the notion that, that within a marriage union, a wife is under the authority of her husband and is called to submit to him as her head. We live in a world that that hates that. We live in a world that really hates submission, apart from God's grace, hates submission completely. And what we need to see is ultimately that's because we live in a world that hates God and hates God's gospel. The world hates the gospel of him who was supremely the submissive one, Jesus Christ. And oh, the temptation that the world is putting on us to compromise the truth which is before us this evening. How much of the church, even the church, broadly speaking, has compromised the gospel by one way or another, compromising on the issue before us this evening? How is it possible for us to stand firm? How is it possible for us to be faithful, to resist the tide? It's only possible by the gospel, the power of the gospel in our lives. That which the the world hates is the very thing in which we glory. Our Lord's submission is something in which we glory. We glory in the truth that it was the submission of Christ which was that path unto his glory, his exalted state as head of the church. We glory in that. We don't resist it. We don't rebel against it the way the world does. We gladly bow in submission to it, to him. We glory in him. And just think on that this evening, uh, Christian wives, as you submit to your husband, your life becomes a testimony of the glory of Christ. By your conduct, you proclaim the gospel. I was tempted this evening to to entitle this sermon, Wife Preachers. (laughs) Maybe that would have caught some attention, right? Wife, wife, Wife Preachers of the Gospel. Dear wives, don't see the call to submit as some sort of great 
burden placed upon you. See it as a privilege. See it as an opportunity to testify of Christ. See it as an invitation to know you uh, fellowship with Christ in a unique way, an opportunity to find Christ formed in you more and more, formed in you, transforming you transforming you not only in terms of your your outward conduct, but even transforming your heart. Think about that, your heart. Do you desire this evening from the heart to honor your husband? To to you uh, women who are sisters who are not yet married, you're single, think about that as you think about, about the qualities, the character you desire in that one to whom you will one day marry. Is it, is it, are you seeking after a husband whom you will be able to find honorable, one who honors, one who himself honors and submits to Christ and will honor and submit to Christ in such a way that, that you will find it a joy to submit to him, to submit to him as unto Christ. Wives, this evening does your attitude, the way you think about, the way you feel about your husband, does it reflect that honor and that submission which the church owes to Christ, her head? You, mean, you, know, you might be able to say this evening, Pastor, if you, if you only knew my husband, if you only knew how hard it is, if you only knew what he could be like, you'd know how hard it is to submit to him. Well, that's true that, you know, I don't know your husband as you know him, but the Lord Jesus knows him. The Lord Jesus understands. And this is a command that comes not from me, but it comes from him. And he's given you not just the command, he's given you all that you need. As we were reminded this morning, he's given you even himself, and he's given you all that you need to find grace, to be able to honor him by honoring and submitting to your husband. This is, this is all part of life in the spirit. It's not you. It's Christ living in you, empowering you by the power of the spirit sent from Christ, enabling you to submit to your husband. Well, what about the husbands this evening? That's our next point. We see not only the, the duty of the wife to submit to her husband, but the husband's duty to love his wife. Husbands, listen well to this. This is a command from Christ from his apostle, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We'd better heed this command. We'd better get this right. It is true that the command for, for wives to submit to their husbands came from the Lord, not from oppressive men with radical views about male patriarchy and so forth. But oh, how sinful men have abused this command of Christ and dishonored the name of Christ, dishonored the gospel, and done great harm to their wives. It takes grace. It takes wisdom and grace to know how rightly to fulfill our duty to lead. We're called to lead. We're called to assert authority rightly. We're not called to be wimps in our marriages, in our homes. We're, we're, we're called to man up and to lead, but we are not to rule as tyrants. We are not to exalt ourselves above our wives. We are called to be servant leaders, not exalting ourselves above, but bringing our, our wives alongside us with them close by our side in love. Matthew, Matthew Henry put it very well when he wrote these words. He wrote, the, whim, the woman 
was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm, to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. And as we we look at our text this evening, we do well to note, as has been pointed out, that the command here for a wife to submit, it's a command that's directed to the wife. It's not directed to the husband. That is to say, not to say that there's no place for loving confrontation when we sin against each other in the, in the marriage relationship. And of course, that's something that, that should go both ways, of course. But note well in this context what Paul does not say. He does not say, wives, you need to submit to your husbands, and husbands, you need to make sure that your wives are submitting to you, Right? Paul does not write, Christian husband, your your primary job in your marriage is to, to demand that your wife submits, that she gives you the submission which she owes you as her head. It's so sad to think that that some men can kind of approach marriage that way, and, and they do so even in the name of Christ. To do so is to completely miss what Paul is saying here is to assert authority, again, in a way that, that completely undermines the authority of Christ and undermines the gospel. If there's one thing in our text that, that if there's only one thing we should learn, men, from our text this evening, it's this, that exercising headship in marriage is not about demanding. It's not about getting. It's about giving, right? Christ loved the church, and what did he do? He gave. He gave. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That's what we need to think deeply about, husbands, as we, as we think about our marriage, as we think about how we conduct ourselves in our marriage. We should always be asking ourselves the question, has the Lord Jesus dealt thus with me? Is Christ to you an oppressive tyrant? One who rules over you? Does he, does he deal with you harshly by making impossible demands of you? Has Christ uh, treated you in such a way as that you find living under his headship to be something of a, a dreadful burden? That's a great question for, for all of us to ask, isn't it? Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that the way you view him who is your head? Some sort of oppressive king or a tyrant? We'd say, no, of course not. A thousand times no. We learned this morning what our our Lord has done for us, how he gave himself for us. And just note how in this context, we're given, we're given such a beautiful picture of the fruit. What is the net effect? What is the result of Christ's work, the work that we learned about even this morning? We see it in verses 26 and 27. He gave himself up for us so that we might be sanctified, so that we might be set apart as holy. He gave himself up for us so that we might be cleansed washed, made clean by his blood. He gave himself up for us so that we might be presented to him as his bride, as it says there in verse 27, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He gave himself up for us that we might be holy and without blemish. What a marvelous description 
Christ gave himself up for us so that at last we might be presented as a beautiful, glorious bride. And it's precisely because Christ has done that for us that we desire to submit to him. We delight in submitting to him. And husbands, that's a high standard, but that's the standard which is set before us in how we're to, to love our wives. We don't demand from them, submit, submit. Now, there's a sense in which we are the ones who submit. We submit in the sense that we submit to their well-being. We have a duty to conduct ourselves in such a way as we'll build them up. We have a duty to give ourselves to them in self-sacrificial love in such a way that they would desire, delight in submitting to our headship. Obviously, as husbands, we can't save our wives in the sense of dying for them and atoning for their sins and so forth. But what is it that we can do? What is it that we must do? We are called to do. It's interesting, the words of verse 26 there, having having cleansed her by the washing of water, note this, washing of water with the word. I think those, uh, those, those words remind us so well of the way the Holy Spirit works and takes the, the merits of Christ's work, his sin atoning sacrifice on the cross. It's the Spirit who applies that work to us such that we are washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And the Spirit always works by the Word. It's the application of the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so the Spirit works by the Word. We are just Justified, we are sanctified. And we know, of course, husbands, that we, we cannot wash away the sins of our wives. We cannot justify them or sanctify them. But what we can do is we can lead them, guide them, bring them to the word of Christ, to him who washes by his word. I do think that one, one application of this this evening is, husbands, be faithful in leading your families, leading in your marriages, in, in family worship bringing your wife to the word, making sure that your marriage as well as your family is centered around the word of Christ. But I think that the primary idea here is that the, that the way we are to do this is by all of our conduct and all that we are doing to conduct ourselves in such a way that we continually guide our, our wives, guide them to the gospel. Obviously, this means we don't, does not mean we rule over them in a harsh way and then afterwards we, we give them the gospel, right? No, we're, the point is we are to model the gospel 24-7 in all of our conduct, in the way that we treat them in everything. We are to love them as Christ loved the church. And that, by God's design, will have a sanctifying effect on them. They will indeed desire so to, to joyfully to submit to our headship. This is not to suggest this evening that in any and every instance where a, a wife has been unfaithful, then that, that must mean that there was some, some fault on the husband. He drove her to her sin. I'm not saying that at all. But generally, when husbands faithfully love their wives with Christ's love, when they lead that way, wives tend to follow that leadership. And by God's grace, that serves as such a beautiful, marvelous, wonderful picture that brings us to our last 
point this evening, the last thing we consider, the picture that this is then of Christ and the church. Obviously, we've already spoken to this, right? But, but we do well this evening in conclusion to focus well and consider, consider just how great, how profound this is. That's what we ought to do because that's exactly what, what Paul does here in the text. You note that as we reach verse 32 and, and just see what he writes, he writes, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This mystery is profound. For those of you who uh, are movie watchers, maybe you love to see a, a big, mis- a good mystery film, or maybe if you read novels, a, a good mystery novel. You know, you're trying to figure out what's what's the mystery, what is it that's happened, who is it that committed the crime, or or how exactly has this happened? What's going on here? What does this all mean? What is it? And it isn't until the very end, you're on the edge of your seat and you're finally given to understand the mystery. The mystery is solved. We saw this word mystery earlier in, in chapter 3 and verse 9, referring to that, that, that secret plan of God. It was, in some sense, it was kept hidden in ages past, but it had now been made known through Christ's apostles and through the new covenant prophets, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, God had revealed this great mystery, this this plan whereby he would bring together Jews and Gentiles together in Christ and make them to be one body, the church. Well, here we see that Paul uses that word mystery again, and we learn something, something about the very institution of the marriage covenant. Way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, Verse 24, which Paul cites here in verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so here God instituted marriage as this this covenant whereby one man and one woman would be joined together, bound in union forever so long as they both shall live. From the very beginning, we learn those words were all about Christ and the church. No one fully understood this. It was a mystery kept hidden in God. But this evening, we have been given to understand the mystery. Think on this. Even before the fall, even before sin entered into the world, the very institution of marriage God established as a prophetic symbol, a symbol of his great wisdom and his grace, how in Christ God would come. He would come to you and me in our fallenness. He would come to redeem us. He would come to bind us together with himself forever making us to be members with him and with one another, members of his own body, the body of Jesus Christ, the Savior. This this only reinforces everything that we've already said about the, the love and submission to which the Lord calls us in our marriages. What we see is that our obedience flows out of that union. It flows out of our union with Christ Brothers and sisters, think on that. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are one. Christ is one with you. He is one with those 
for whom he died. The church is his own body. Yes, you are one with him and one with each other. We've already seen the implications of this for body life, uh, you know, how we, we live at our faith before one another in general. Remember back in, in chapter 4 and verse 25, we saw how this pertains to speaking the truth. We're to put away falsehood and speak the truth with our neighbor. And why is that? Because we are members one of another. To lie to your neighbor, to, to lie to a brother or sister is to lie to yourself. Well, that same principle is even more fully fleshed out here with respect to the marriage relationship as we see it in verses 28 through 30. We're reminded that, that we are all naturally selfish, right? We naturally look after our own body. We, we, we care for, we cherish, uh, we, we, we care for the needs of our own body. Well, husbands, we're told, we're called to love our wives just as we naturally love our own bodies precisely because marriage is that, re- that, that unique relationship that where two are made to be one, one flesh. And so to love your wife, husbands, is to indeed to love your own body. Well, again, we can see that that's such a, such a powerful, vivid picture of Christ and the church. Jesus is one with his body, his bride, the church. And that is why marriage must be so important to all of us. And again, brothers and sisters, it helps us to understand then not only what motivates us, but where does the power come from? What empowers us unto obedience to the Lord in this regard? It's union with Christ. It's Christ in us. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to what we learned last week. What's the context? Pastor Hulse showed us last week. This is life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has united us to Christ. Christ dwells in you by the Spirit, and that means that the very Spirit, the very same Spirit by whom Christ emerged alive, came out of the tomb, was raised up unto life and glory forever and ever and ever. That same Spirit is the one who empowers you and me, dear Christian, to walk in new life. It's not life according to the the pattern of this world, which rebels against God and his command to submit. It's not life according to the pattern of a world that's under the sentence of death. No, this is, this is the life, the very powers, the very life of the new world, that new world which began when Jesus was raised from the dead. Just think on that. What we're saying here is that, that the very powers of the age to come are at work in us, flowing through our veins, propelling us forward unto that new obedience. That's the power, brothers and sisters. That's the power by which you husbands are called to love your wives and wives you are called to submit to your husbands. Indeed, we are all called in every way the Lord calls and enables us to love, to cherish, to honor the institution of marriage till death do we part. Indeed, all of our days. May God give us the grace to do just that. Let's pray together.